Jake Bacon has made it his mission to help the helpless. He rescues wild animals. When we spoke, he and his daughter were caring for a skunk, a fox, a squirrel, and a bunny. All babies, all either injured or orphaned in some form or another. So this, oh my goodness. this oh, is a oh. very fat skunk that is entirely capable of spraying. Sweet. And so laying on her back with her <laughs> rear legs spread indelicately wide <laughs> and her bum pointing straight at me, there is, you know, if we do years of skunk rescue, sooner or later there will be the story of getting a hot shot straight to the forehead. This is Two Lives. From KJZZ Original Productions, I'm Laura Morales. People ask me how I get to do it, how I get to have, you know, a fox running around my living room at night, and how I get to have baby skunks following me around the house. And it's a really simple answer is being available. You know, most things in life you get to do if you just say yes. Jake says yes at least a couple times a week. It started with a red-tailed hawk five years ago. Now, every time I check Facebook, he's posted a new bird or mammal. Here's Jake capturing an injured raccoon from someone's roof with a giant net. So we're going to try and get it down and get it some medical help, see what we can do for it. Look at that. Nice. Easy peasy. Thank you so very much. High five. <laughs> Here's a bowl full, I'm talking like a mixing bowl, full of baby skunks waiting to be fed. And missed lunchtime by an hour. And someone is a little agitated about the delay. Don't you yeah. get attached? Um, you know, the last skunk that we have definitely imprinted on myself and my daughter. Yeah, the thought of having it de-skunked, having it be a house pet, that's a f that thought comes back a lot, but it's completely irresponsible. It's not fair to that skunk, and there will be endless numbers of skunks. I interview Jake in his front yard, which explains some of the background noise. My friends call it the Sanford and Sons um, <laughs> junkyard. Jake has permission to transport federally protected animals to a wildlife rehabilitation center in Phoenix. And local authorities often count on him to deal with animal calls when they're too busy. And their understanding that I'm not going to become Flagstaff's answer to Tiger King and I'm not going to hoard <laughs> animals. His obsession with animals started when he was a kid. His parents were officers in the Royal Air Force. So Jake was born in Southeast Asia but grew up in Australia and England. My parents' farm in the southwestern England, we had fields that we raised cattle and sheep in, and then we had a really magical stretch of woodland, and we'd go sit and watch the badgers come out. At one point, they lived next to Hyde Park in central London. As a six-year-old boy, he would walk alone across the park and into the Natural History Museum, past the giant dinosaur skeleton, and up the stairs. There is a Victorian case at the top of the stairs in the Natural History Museum with 500 taxidermid hummingbirds. I remember the first time I saw it when I was six years old, I walked around the corner 
and, and it looked like jewels. I mean, it looked like rubies and diamonds and sapphires and emeralds. His love for animals got him in a bit of a jam last year when he was coming home from Sedona and saw a baby elk that had been hit by a car. The baby elk was still alive. The mother elk was standing 10 feet away watching and, you know, distressed. The car that had hit the elk had been, was being driven by um, two Navajo ladies who were super upset. The elk was so badly injured, it appeared to have a broken back. Jake thought the most humane thing to do was to put the animal out of its misery. He had a knife, but didn't want to make a big mess. There's a comical way that things tend to happen for me, that if I cut this elk's jugular with my knife, it's going to look like a community theater production of Carrie, and I'm going to get back into someone else's car dripping with blood. He felt he had to do something. I paid far too much attention to the distress of all the people that I was with. The thing is, Jake is usually trying to help save wildlife. And so being put in the situation where I'm choking this baby elk while the two Navajo ladies keep asking if it's going to be okay, while my two <laughs> friends keep leaning out the car asking if it's going to be okay, and through gritted teeth I keep telling them, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be okay. <laughs> and I thought that it would take, you know, I mean, I've watched enough TV shows where people get strangled, and it takes a minute. It doesn't take a minute to strangle an elk. And after 15 minutes, I let go, because it's, it's still, I'm just about to get off it, and all of a sudden, it takes a huge rasping breath, and everybody explodes. Everybody goes, it's going to be okay, I told you, it's going to be fine. Jake finished the job. The elk finally died, and a few days went by. It was three days later when I got out of the shower, and there was a huge bullseye bite the size of a grapefruit on my left butt cheek. My fear was I had photographed a gentleman in town who'd been bitten on the head by a brown recluse. Caused all kinds of hideous health issues for him. Over the following weeks, the mark grew to cover Jake's entire back. All of a sudden, I started getting this crushing fatigue. And then it was cardiac issues, and then finally... I had brain issues where it felt like there was this constant fogginess, constant fizzing. Jake did what most of us do when we're uncertain about our symptoms. He Googled them, and he was convinced he had Lyme disease. So he went to a doctor and told him so. The doctor said, no way, there's no Lyme disease in Arizona. I was convinced that I was dying. I would catch myself not breathing. You know, my breath was really shallow. It's a bacterial infection that gets systemic and just wrecks everything. So it gets in your joints, it gets in your brain, it gets in your heart, your lungs. If people go a couple of years undiagnosed, it becomes a chronic lifetime illness. It took Jake six months to figure out that he did indeed have Lyme disease. He caught it from a tick on the back of that elk. And he could have died if he hadn't insisted on being treated for a disease that rarely shows up in Arizona. So he went on Facebook with a jar full of limes, L-I-M-E-S, to tell his friends. I've been telling people one at a time, but I figured it was time to tell everybody. If you find me to be spacier than usual, I drove to the petrol station today and couldn't remember why I was there, even though I was in a car that didn't have any gas in it but that I'm a little spacey because I'm full of limes. 
Joking aside, Jake was worried about leaving his kids without a father. His own dad died when he was only two months old. He flew a plane into the side of a mountain during a storm. Jake knew what it was like to grow up without a father and didn't want that for his own kids. What, what am I going to do? I have three daughters. I have a grandson. Dying is not an option. I'm the person that cares for other people. Jake is part of a small group of people in Flagstaff who have to deal with death, both as the animal rescue guy and as the newspaper's chief photographer. You know, they come to the murder scene. They come to the person who's been run over by the train. And they pay an, an incredible price. What price do you pay? I'm 53 years old. I'm single. I have watched my father being buried. I've watched my brother be buried. I've watched my best friend in high school be buried. It's unimaginable. So six years ago, when an investigator and two social workers came to his door one morning, he knew it was bad news. My first concern was worrying about my friend Ryan having to tell me and how much that must suck for him. Ryan told Jake that his 19-year-old son Sam was dead. He died of a drug overdose, cocaine and methadone. Jake's youngest, Charlie, was only five at the time. And I had to sit her down on a swing in the back garden and say something terrible happened while you left. And her first response was, one of my chickens died. And it was like, you know, I'm sitting here with the intention of destroying the heart of this pure, innocent child. And there's humor. What's the biggest thing that could happen in her world? One of her damn chickens is dead. Jake says grief sneaks up on you at the most random moments. I was cooking a couple of months ago in the kitchen. I was thinking about a list of things that were important to me that I needed to get done. And all of a sudden, Sam was in the living room laughing. And I burst into tears. And Charlie was sitting on the couch watching funny vines on TV. And her brother's laugh was coming out of her mouth. And she was like, what's up? What's wrong? Why are you so upset? And I said, I heard your brother. Jake blames Sam's addiction on witnessing a brutal divorce between Jake and Sam's mom. And I truly believed that I was fighting a good fight, and I was fighting for him, and I was completely blind to the price that he was paying, and he internalized that, and I truly believe that, you know, he, that led to self-medication, that led to substance abuse. I had sent him away to rehab twice. Sam's death had a powerful impact on Jake. He taught his dad an unforgettable lesson that even when I thought that I was justified and in the right, you can be in the right and you can still do unspeakable harm. And so I made the decision the day that he died that I would stand for his mom the way that he would if he were there as a way to honor him. And I can be kind and I can look at responses to things and be like, are you doing this out of love or are you doing this out of anger? That's a heavy burden. No, it's not. It's a really light burden. It sounds really heavy, but I have a chance to do better. It's a gift. The day that my friend Ryan stepped down these steps into that house, 
the course of my life irrevocably changed. You know, I am a different human being now. The experiences I have all are changed. I can't help but think five years ago was when you first rescued the hawk. Mm -hmm. And six years ago was when Sam died, that, that the two aren't related in some way. But clearly there were holes in my life where I felt that if I rescued other people, you know, my wholeness was determined by rescuing others, which is not a good way to live your life and speaks more about what's wrong with you than it does what's wrong with others. Injik admits that rescuing animals on top of his full-time photography work has kept him busy, too busy to think about all of the people he's lost. At the end of the day, when the house was quiet, that's when the ghosts would come. And that's when I would think about what bus full of nuns did I burn in a former life that this loss keeps coming. Jake's 13-year-old daughter, Charlie, comes out of the house with one of their latest foster animals, a baby squirrel so small it can fit into one hand. It crawls up her arm and onto her shoulder while she remains completely unfazed. So, Charlie, this is Laurel. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Charlie, who has her dad's blue eyes, is a more than willing animal caregiver, getting up at all hours to help with feedings, but Jake can't get her to do the dishes. Yeah. So you only help me with the animals. You aren't yes, with the animals are more important. <laughs> Here's another Facebook post. It's a video of Jake and Charlie releasing the now grown skunks into the wild. Come here. The skunk release is happening. They came to us in a bucket, tiny little skunks with their eyes closed, completely helpless. And now they're grown up and they're what getting... Was that, what was that themselves. like after you'd had them for a couple of months? It was sad because I was going to miss them, but also stressful because I saw a hawk flying around earlier and I was scared that the hawk was going to eat them. And I imagine it's pretty hard when when they die. I mean, you, you yeah. get a lot of these animals that have been hurt. I mean, if we know it has a bigger chance of dying, it's not as hard to deal with because you knew it was going to happen. Right. Like with the smaller squirrel that died this morning, it wasn't too difficult to deal with because it was already having a rough time living. So we just knew it was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. A lot of what my daughter Charlie and I do is take stress away from other people. Seeing things die that shouldn't die is challenging. I adopt a Winston Churchill quote of, you know, never, ever, ever give up. And when I have something that's dying, it's not fair. You know, life is fundamentally not based on fairness. It's another of those soft skills that I hope my children learn because joy and sadness are equally vital and important parts of life. And as Khalil Gibran says, the deeper the sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. This is Two Lives from KJZZ Original Productions. I'm Laurel Morales. Next time on Two Lives, 
how one woman rescues herself from darkness. The idea of the two lives, I, I mean, that really stuck with me. I honestly, after we were done talking, I was like tearing, tearing up after because it resonated so, so strongly with me, that idea that I'm firmly in this second life. Two lives. The second one starts the moment we realize we only have one. Download wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like it, please leave a review and tell your friends about it.